0: When I started digging, I got really super excited about this stuff. And it's just getting into like the youngism and how much he embraced it, and even reading cer- certain quotes that he wrote about the duality of man and the fight between good and evil in every person. It was, mm-hmm. it, it was really cool stuff. and made me, I'll, I'll get into it, but it made me look at The Shining a little bit differently today. Mm, interesting. And, yeah. And love, it made love me get into that. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's, you're going to be like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, what did you watch?
1: come
2: up with who is stanley kubrick that's oh, that dude. is the eternal question that's what we're gonna answer on this episode of media monsters oh my god <laughs> hello <laughs> hello and welcome to media monsters everybody as always i am nick i am joined by alex jim duran and bardia and we are here today to talk about one of the most revered directors of all time stanley kubrick where do we even begin boys who wants to take this away why don't we go with the Shining? Because he's either Shining or Two Thousand One. Shining. I think we should do The Shining, because none of us actually picked The Shining. <laughs> no, so no one this, did? Oh. Yeah. I thought, I thought, no, no one no one ended up picking The Shining. <laughs> oh so,
3: we should thought, still talk about it.
2: No, yeah, no, did. we will. And I mean that's why this turned into like a general conversation is like I we'd, we'd, you we'd be did. missing one or two great movies. No, I, I chose Clockwork Orange.
0: Did you? Okay. Yeah. But Ooh. um yeah, originally, The Shining.
2: Originally this started as a um head to of, head of which Kubrick movie is the best, but th- it's evolved into uh, a general conversation. So uh yeah, take take it away, Al. What do you have to say
0: about The Shining? So <laughs> The Shining is a movie that I saw as a kid. I think I saw it on like A B C uh Sunday night movies. What? Um yeah, like it was just uh, when when they did. Once upon a time, CBS did Saturday night movies. NBC did Friday night movies, and ABC did Sunday night movies. And they showed they showed a number of different movies that you know were in cinemas and and I think that's where I saw Blade Runner first. But I, that's definitely where I saw The Shining first. The Shining has a is 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 a movie that was always kind of up until today. I always looked at it as a straight horror film. Very suspenseful, very indicative of the time. Um, Shelley Duvall in her probably her most Shelley Duvall part, other than Olive oil. oil. Jack Nicholson and probably again, it's it's just a credit to his his acting as Jack Nicholson is is Jack Nicholson versus Jack Nicholson in who uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. But this, I think that this one definitely encompasses the madness and his his character power that he's got. And it it does a really, really great job at scaring the living shit out of a kid. And you just, you grew up knowing that this was a horror movie. You grew up knowing that it was, it was based on a Stephen King book. And that's, that's at the preface of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about The Shining is that it's kind of like the horror movie in a way. Like when, when I was growing up, I felt like The Shining was like, that's the movie. Like there are horror
0: movies and then there's The Shining. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so funny because it's like when you start getting into the guts and and the meat and potatoes of The Shining, you start to find out a lot of things about The Shining that you go, how did this movie even get made? How did this even happen? The Shining is so revered. It's so not to use your word, but it's so such a masterpiece that when Mountain Dew decides (laughs) they're going to they're going to mock you. And even the the Wendy, I'm home and here's Johnny. Those are such classic scenes and even though it's the it it's wrong. one it, it's one scene and you just you there's so many things about the shining that are so iconic in horror and suspense. When you start getting into the shining you start realizing and finding out what a middle finger it was to Stephen King yeah and, and how much Stephen King actually hated this movie. Um, yeah i mean
2: and and you see why when when you like really take a step back and look at it because the shining is it if his book is it's really about him it's him overcoming his addiction and you know this abusive father becoming a a better person at the end of the book but this is like no you're a bad person and you're condemned
0: is it what in what way what (laughs) go on you guys want to give your input and I'll give my I'll, I'll circle back to my theory on it.
4: I'm going to take this opportunity to quickly say uh, I,
0: I, uh, I don't
4: think I'm going to talk too much about The Shining because it's one of those that I've seen the least. I think I've seen it literally once. And uh, to be frank, I, I don't remember that much of it. So I'm going to defer to everyone else's views. And with that, I'm going to shut up now.
3: <laughs> you know.
4: Thank you. The Shining
3: but, yeah. is <laughs> the Shining is like my idea of almost what what the the horror or the thriller genre is. You
0: it know? is, and yeah.
3: I I can say that for like any Kubrick movie, you know, because yeah, we everybody knows Red Rum, everybody knows Here's Johnny, but you know, it's a lot of psychological things uh, as well as some, you know graphic horror on the screen i mean the last time i i don't want to say watched the shining nick was watching the shining um a couple of years ago over at uh at our parents house and i was on a computer with the screen facing away from me but the speakers were facing towards me and i would had i kind of had to listen to the whole movie and man even without seeing the screen i was like freaked out it bothered me. Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, the hotel has a heartbeat. So that's, that's a th-
3: it. That's really? it. It was exactly at the heartbeat. Man, I had to get up and walk away because it just, yeah, it was like messing with me.
0: So that's a really interesting point. The Shining does damage to you psychologically through use of camera work. The Shining does a lot of things in it that are so unique the entire time it's shot from a voyeuristic point of view, it's very unsteady at times. One really good point is when they're walking through the Overlook Hotel, and he's not panning in a way that you go, it's a slow pan, and he's watching it's like turning your head, watching someone walk across the lobby. When Danny's going down the hall of the Overlook on his big wheel, he's behind him the entire time. But the thing is, as the movie goes on and his and his premonitions and his visions get stronger and deeper the biggest the biggest thing i want to sh- talk about is the fact that when he's on his big wheel when he's about to see um, you're talking about
3: Danny right now
0: Danny when he's about to see the two the two young girls it's shot in an in an unnatural way and it's to give you the whole idea that like you said the overlook is a lot yes. and it, it when he gets when jack gets drunk At the bar and he has this vision of this supposed this dream of massacring wendy and 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 danny it gets more bombastic shall we say it 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 becomes
3: taking a hold of him
0: so the pinnacle the absolute absolute point in pinnacle of this voyeurism it's the most insane shot because you go how the 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 movement is really super unnatural it's the movement of the axe when he's going into the door when he's swinging that axe into the door, it's like watching your head is turning. You're watching it back, forward, back, forward, swing, chop, swing, chop. And you're watching it in a. you watch it in a way like a giddy kid. You're like, ee! and and that's the thing. It's taking hold of him. It's taking hold of him. It's taking hold of him. At that point, Jack Nicholson had been a volunteer firefighter and that door had to be they had to replace the door It had to be. <laughs> It had to be reinforced because the first time he did it, he absolutely destroyed the door. <laughs> so one thing that I found super interesting about The Shining, and not to gush over it, but this is so cool, man, <laughs> is the fact that when Jack goes in for the when he goes in for the interview for the Overlook, he goes into the office of the hotel, and the office is brown and salmon colored. All the books are brown; they're black except for there's one book on the table. And it's called the Red Book. And it's by Carl Jung. And he's a, Jung is a Swedish psychologist or psychiatrist. He's whatever, I guess he can write scripts, but, or he could. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing about that book and Jung is the fact that he talks about the duality of man and the duality of man. And it, it, it's really neat because once I heard that, I started looking at all the other movies I watched very differently. And the thing is, that book is read and one of the biggest things about red is it, it's an overall color that he uses very, 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 very often uh, psychologically in a lot of his movies. Aside from the what the usual red would mean, lust, revenge, murder, whatever, red is very symbolic of birth and rebirth. And that's that's very, very important because as Jack gets crazier and crazier, red becomes more paramount. There's red in the bathroom at the party. There's the, the bar is red, uh, even even Tyrell the guy who played Tyrell who plays the he plays the uh the bartender i forget what his name Delbert is tonight Grady. Lloyd No 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 Lloyd so i'll get well, into Delbert Grady <laughs> i'll get into Delbert Grady okay? <laughs> He plays both Yeah so he so Lloyd especially is he's got a red jacket on when i heard the birth and rebirth situation that made me start looking at the shining especially differently it started making me look at this movie in a way as this is a movie about a man who is going through hell he is the Overlook Hotel is purgatory. He is he's dead. Delbert Grady says to him in the bathroom, you're the caretaker. You've always been here. You've always been here. And Jack is actually going through hell. He's he's dead and he's in purgatory the entire time. This is my take on it. And anyone is welcome to call me out. Danny Torrance is him as a child. Tony is him as. As his future self, his higher power. The woman that he finds in the bathtub is his mother, who who died. She drowned, she killed herself. The guy who's in the room, basically getting oral sex from a from the bear, is his father, who was abusive to Jack. And he passed it on down and he did that. That that's kind of getting it gets into that the whole i dislocated my shoulder i dislocated danny's shoulder the father did that to jack and he turned jack into this person so as he's going and he's going crazier and crazier and crazier he's going through hell, hell 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 he's getting through he's going through he's actually dilbert grady who, who murdered he murdered uh his wife and, ch- and children at the very end when jack's frozen in the maze when he's dead danny's released Wendy's released his feminine side is released because Wendy Wendy represents the logical and pathetic side of his mother who killed herself who is defenseless She, they get released they go on that's that's taken care of his evil side has been frozen it's dead it's gone and that's when you pan out to he's finally released in 1921 that's why he's in the picture so this whole time is him going through hell that was my take on The Shining
1: (laughs) It's really interesting. I especially liked how earlier you're talking about how the Overlook Hotel is alive in a way. And I find that so the film I picked for this uh, podcast was Eyes Wide Shut and I found that the on this rewatch of Eyes Wide Shut I saw a lot of similarities to The Shining. I think that they're they both kind of function in a similar way. There's this kind of like underlying air of mystery in both The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut. And I think Eyes Wide Shut in order to like interpret it you need to kind of like adopt uh, like a
0: conspiratorial mode of thinking and, and that's so that's so funny because like i said to nick is there's that underlying theme about the conspiracy the two different conspiracies in this, the the, the, the lunar moon land, landing the yeah. moon landing mm-hmm. which is like when he bugs out on wendy for coming in the room that supposedly that's him going finally confessing to his wife that <laughs> yeah i was part of, i was part of the lunar landing but there was also <laughs> like and you're gonna find you're gonna find that. And there's also the other off, weird
2: details too. Like there's the sweater like, and.
0: But there's also like in the, the two thirty-seven pa- change. Well, because oh, it's two hundred thirty-seven miles from from. Yeah, the bonus and in the book miles. it's
2: two seventeen. Yeah, there was seemingly so, no reason to change it.
0: So, again, they it comes up again later on in Full Metal Jacket when he when he comments again about the massacre of the American Indians and how that that played a part like in in, in the pantry like there's Calumet. Uh, flower or something like that you can you can blatantly see it and it seems like like you were saying duran he's the most conspiracy theory driven director who's part of a conspiracy how ironic is that one of the biggest conspiracies in the world and again it gets into the duality and we'll get into that with eyes wide shut because i found that there as well and it, it seems like you nick you said at one point plot the a plot and the b plot to movies yeah like when you we were talking about the bear and i was like wow there's like an a b c and d plot to this movie i mean like, that's every
2: kubrick movie though <laughs> i know
0: but but that's the thing is you just when you start getting into the layers of it all it's like wow holy hell well, like, The reason i
1: go uh, ahead to run uh the reason i really like um, Stanley Kubrick's movies, especially like his late work, like The Shining, Eyes Wide Shut, is because there's always this like underlying level of ambiguity, which is tied to the mystery behind the whole film. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that like with The Shining, we get all of these little like hints towards like a larger picture, which naturally like as film aficionados, as, as, as people from the audience, we have to kind of draw our own conclusions, right?
0: And do you think he's very tongue in cheek? Like I'm laying it out for you; you figure it out.
1: I think that personally, I don't think that there is like a correct interpretation.
0: That's what Shining. I liked about that. That's why, yeah. and that's that's the that was probably like one of the greatest things that when Nick you were like, we're dropping the head to head; we're just having a discussion. I was like, cool, because I can't play debate on these movies because you're 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 so open to interpretation on this. Oh, yeah it's, it's oh my really god
3: nobody seems to agree on like what the end of
1: 2001 means yeah it's oh, what I, Alex, I have a
0: take on that
1: i'm right about that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: not that your one, opinion sucks but it does <laughs> one,
2: one, one, like that kind of goes with what i was gonna say about a clockwork orange it's that it's the most gray black and white morality
0: play you'll ever see that's that's so funny that you use the term play and i use that term on on eyes wide shot because i didn't well, they, really they feel
2: in. they feel theatrical in in a way like theater theatrical not like movie theatrical in in a way that most other movies do not and especially in barry linden i feel like there's there's definitely an element of like the play going on and i wanted to circle back to something you were saying about this kind of duality and um i wanted to ask do you like both halves of full metal
0: jacket <laughs> equally I do. do i like them equally no i actually i rev- i view them as almost like two different seasons <laughs> i that's, i have something
2: sh- for you you're going to love this but that it the ties thing about into duality and life and
0: that's, and that's the thing is is it the literal
4: line the duality of man sir <laughs>
0: that's it so that's okay so that's straight up that is exactly what prompted me to look into that again to look at that and go because I knew the red book on the table meant something. We were trying to like even on the even on the HBO, um, what was lit, what was posted? You know what HBO is hosting right now on a bigger TV. Man, you got to get right up on that screen to even see what the book is to <laughs> even read the title. And that's the thing is is because these movies deserve to be seen in theaters. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a that's the thing is. I oh wait a minute. What's the title of the red book on the table in The Shining? It's the red book. And It's by Carl Jung, and that's that's what spiraled me into this, and that's what like just it, it's like forget it, I'm I'm going down the rabbit hole right now because it's it's started me thinking and getting into like Eyes Wide Shut, Full Metal, and Shining is what I watched in the last you know c- couple of days. I and it's like it's so exciting because I have, I have <sighs> stuff to say about Eyes Wide Shut and I have stuff to say about about Full Metal Jacket, but I'm only a host today, so I want other people to talk because <laughs> as i said i'm the resident big mouth <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh i was gonna say that i really like that that detail you picked up about that red book i mean it can lead to all these like interesting interpretations and i think that like also another similarity i, I see from eyes wide Shuttle and the shining is that the performances and i think this goes back to what nick said about theatricality yes. the performances are very specific like the gestures the way that certain like words are emphasized um and like a lot of times um a lot of the characters speak very slowly that, so that- it's very like i i found it to be like really yes. like, unnatural um, okay. in a way that actually sorry, let me just finish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so yeah, like no, no, I'm uh, so, so excited about this. <laughs> yeah, and, and like in like a way that even like those like small gestures lead to like people, certainly like myself included, like looking really deeply into this performance is to try to find like hitting meanings behind every single like word that's said, every gesture, every like small action, that kind of thing. The weird so, way that people behave and in, in these movies.
0: So let me ask you a question. Okay, what drove me nuts was when he goes over, when Tom, in eyes wide shut, when he goes over and sees the daughter of the of the of the doctor that died, mm-hmm. and she's talking about her fiance, they speak very unnaturally. Mm-hmm. They speak very, very almost like, and not to I and you're gonna kill me, and if you want to cut my feet off in two seconds <laughs> for saying this, but one of the things that someone always said what what drove them nuts about Kevin Smith movies, and especially clerks was no one speaks like that. no one speaks as well thought as that. you know people speak in nickel words they don't speak in 50 cent piece words like they the the dialogue is so it's so over the top like extravagant the way that they're speaking and I go, why are they talking like this and it continues on to when he's walking down the street in the middle of the night and the group of like the frat boys or whatever you want to call them coming out of the bar, their whole choreography and the way that they're like kind of harassing him about like calling him homosexual and making all sorts of gestures. It's like, no one talks like that. Nobody talks like Mm -hmm. that. And I go, this is like a really crazy version of, of our town from hell. And, And just in the sense of it's written almost like a play. And, and I thought about this, I thought about this with eyes wide shut. And if you give me a moment, I'd love to express this because I want someone else to I want someone else's feedback about this. So shall I proceed?
1: Uh let me add one thing really quick. <laughs> uh so I actually want to push back a little bit on Eyes of Shut specifically and maybe some of the shining dialogue being very like extravagant. I actually found it to be like quite the opposite, but it's more so the delivery by all the actors, which like yeah. makes that kind of theatrical emphasis. But that's just my opinion.
0: So let me let me go where what made me start spiraling and thinking about this sure when she's talking when they're both high and she's talking about when he went to cape cod when they went to cape cod and she saw the young navy officer in the in the lobby and he slipped her a note and she said she had really thought about going away like basically like cheating on him at that point she, but she doesn't see she does in a way say cheat but she doesn't And she just said she was so attracted to this young naval officer. And I I realized how much I loved you at that point. At no point does she ever say, and she said she wanted to have sex with him, but she didn't. Correct? Yeah. She alluded. Yeah. What I picked off of that from face value, from face value, you think, oh, she she saw that she got the hots for, you know, some dude. But she never, it's never when they do show this guy, it's always from Tom Cruise's thought process. Mm Mm-hmm she's talking about him and she's talking about the person that she fell in love with. That's, and she was so attracted to him at that point that she felt she was, she was talking about, she wanted him in the way that she wanted him at the beginning. And she was in love with him the way she was in the beginning. I think from that point on, you start to see sort of, it becomes, it seems like the pacing of, of the speech becomes a little bit longer paused in a way. So it made me start to think, and the Christmas lights are probably a biggest indication of how many Christmas lights there are all over this place. All these things are happening in his head. So if you notice from what I took away, from what I gathered, every time he goes to cheat on her, it never happens. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning of the party, it gets interrupted. The only one that actually lands a kiss on him is is the weird, is the weird daughter who's grieving the hooker he's about to transact uh, the whole process with her gets interrupted the 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 roommate when she goes with her hooker's roommate they never kiss it gets interrupted so he has this whole idea that he wants to cheat on her and he thinks it will be so easy to cheat on her because of what he is but it never happens the only other thing that kind of was really really funny to me and it was like a juxtapose in a way was there's a part when he goes to work and the the scene is, you know, it's him giving, you know, basically like a physical to this pretty woman who looks she's very she's made up to be very sexy. And you're like, oh, he's got this glamorous job and the mother in Nicole Kimmins at home, you know, doing housework. But as you notice, as it changes, her sexuality ramps up. And he's, like, giving, like, prostate exams to, like, an old man and, like, physical, you know. So this this idea of, like, this glamorous, hot, young doctor has now given way to, like, the mundane things he has to do in his job. And she's, like, they show her putting on a bra, and it's, like, a, a fine lingerie bra. They show her wrapping um, the Van Gogh book, and it starts to, like, she's got the more glamorous side of things, And she's got the more alluring side of things and she possesses all that allure. And even when they show like this picturesque Fifth Avenue apartment and she looks super pretty and they're drinking wine, he's in beat up jeans and a T-shirt watching football. And I thought that was super, super interesting when it talks about... To think about it, it's like, oh, you must have this glamorous, wonderful life and you're two attractive young people and blah, 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 blah. And the truth is it's it's not really like, it's like that to a point, but it's really not like that as you think it is. I thought that was really interesting. And the fact is that all the women in the movie are very smooth, shall we say? They're very pretty much perfect, like from the parties and everything. They're pretty... Their skin is perfect. Their ma- everything about ones. them is everything is perfect. They're almost like the ideal woman. That's why I go: Is this really in his head? And he's thinking like it may be happening. I mean, there is, this is there is a is popular theory. There is a popular theory that it it
2: is a dream. Like it's yeah. it is yeah. all it as as cop out as that is the entire <laughs> thing is a dream. And like it is it is one of the most dreamlike movies I have ever watched and just and the way when... it's it's shot like you're saying like nobody speaks like this but maybe that's why is that's, because and that's what I'm it's getting a at. dream.
0: And that's that's what made me think about it and the Christmas the Christmas lights in every shot was like, you know. Yeah. You know some of was...
2: the, some of that was green screen rear projection. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh so are you that...
0: talking about like the
1: shots of New York and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he, like, he, he didn't want to
2: leave london yeah
1: he basically like recreated like the west side in in london just because he didn't want to get on a plane
0: yeah did you know that did you know that full metal jackets shot in london yeah 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 <laughs> they yeah. brought him they brought in palm trees <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um
1: yeah i wanted to comment on something you said about um like cruises attempts to uh to cheat throughout eyes wide shut um I was reading this book by Michelle Chion on Eyes Wide Shut and something that he mentions was that um, you never really get a sense of any of the motivations behind any of the characters in the movie. And yeah. like, I think that yeah. Cruz's performance does, he does an incredible job kind of emphasizing that since like, I, I find that his motivations remain very like ambiguous throughout. Cause there's point, there's parts of the movie where um, he stops himself from cheating. There's parts of the movie where external circumstances like stop him from cheating and you you never really quite know what's going on in his head and i think that tom Cruise's like really weird and kind of alien smile that he uses kind of throughout <laughs> all of his films but definitely in eyes wide shut um helps with that
0: um it's, and, and it's really easily like, laugh <laughs> yeah exactly
1: yeah and it, it helps to like enhance like the sense of like ambiguity but uh yeah
0: even like so okay so like do you remember the scene in thinking about that do you remember the scene where she's just in front of the mirror after the party and he comes up to her and it's almost like they're perfectly lit in a way and they're very it's they're lit very bright almost like angels in a way almost like they believe he believes that they're perfect they're a perfect uh human be- they're both perfect human beings like like specimens of perfection. In their life is a specimen of perfection.
1: There's um something I was reading that that mentioned that you, in the sense and, and like the perfectionism sense, like um, they really like have everything is perfect, like in their life, like they
0: have exactly yeah. no
1: troubles, no nothing, and so like basically that that creates all of the conflict in this film to be like completely psychological.
0: So, I think do it's, you like, really interesting? Do you remember when he can't? To get a sense of his character right off the bat, he's like, Oh, what's like it wasn't like, Oh shit, what's what's the babysitter's name? It was like, Yeah, what's the babysitter's name? Matter. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. no, no, no. That was that was the thing. Like, he was like, Yeah, oh yeah, doesn't... like yeah. looking down on her and he's like and it's so funny because he looks down on her and then he plays this like that little alien smile, like We'll send a cab for you. It's like, you're such a piece of shit, dude. You were basically, (laughs) you thought she was nothing. And now you're like, oh, look at this. It's just, it it really kind of cast his, like his character to show like what we're dealing with mentally while she was a little bit more grounded. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it was really, this was a really exciting when i thought about it, it i labored through it don't get me wrong i labored through it but when i thought about it it became exciting so i'll give it that that it became exciting in the afterthought to go oh wow ho- holy shit this is really layered like like and you, then you go oh it, it just happens to have sex parties in it
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: My, well, think, uh... my my
2: parents cannot see past the sex parties they they're terrified of this movie they will not watch it ever again
0: I can't blame so
1: them that's my. Is, I think it's, it's really,
4: I think it's really funny because uh, I wanted to uh, admit, talk earlier about the point about like the, a lot of the commonalities between uh, uh, the Shining and Eyes Wide Shut. I think can speak to certain like I what I consider to be broader uh, sort of recurring themes in the works of Kubrick. And I think one actually I was talking to a buddy about is uh, is sex how it's presented in these movies. And uh, obviously with Eyes Wide Shut, it, it's a very Clear example there, but I think uh, it sort of uh, lingers in the background in many of his other works. Uh, you can, I mean, you could talk about it with, in the context of Lolita or with uh, Barry Lyndon. Uh, I
2: could I could go on and on about how Full Metal Jacket is all about sex.
4: Mm
1: -hmm. oh i'll get to
0: that one (laughs) eyes wide shut was the first movie that i was like oh can they just stop with the naked women please i may be 48 but i was like oh this again (laughs) (laughs) but that's really funny getting into especially with full metal jacket like you said that the theme of sex yeah because what i thought about what i got was that was only a smaller part of it of the bigger picture here um, well, if we
4: want to talk about the bigger bigger picture, I think uh, it could be tied to this sort of Kubrick's sort of repulse towards humanity at large. A lot of his movies sort of deal with characters that have uh, rather irredeemable qualities. Like Lolita is about a pedophile uh, and Dr. Strangelove. V- very funny, but it's about people that want to like destroy the world. I mean, it's world. about a Nazi. Mm-hmm. It's Literally about an ex-Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> so then that's the thing. Qu-
0: yeah, I mean, thank you, Operation Blowback. No, no, go, 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 man. I'm, I can uh, talk uh,
4: forever. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to sort of <laughs> go in sequence. I mean, you got Clockwork Orange about these uh, hoodlums that are, like, destroying property and raping women and everything. And we talked about The Shining. It's about, like, man who wants to kill his family. I mean, and then... But yeah, irredeemable uh, characters all around. Yeah, it's full of irredeemable characters. And it just overall, I think it speaks to... Uh, how much Kubrick really doesn't like humanity at large. And he sort of uh, projects it in a v- really, I think a rich variety, a rich palette across all of his movies, be it in 18th century uh, Europe or in 20th century uh, Vietnam.
0: Just it's a rich palette. Nice. Yeah. I, we're, I hi- really... we're highbrow now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry to keep
1: bringing up Eyes Wide Shut. I just love this movie. But like, um, I think that like what you said about, um, Kubrick and kind of like showing but his disgust for humanity is, is is true for like 99% of his films but like it's super weird um that Eyes Wide Shut kind of ends on kind of like a happy note all things considered and it's it's kind of about like these two people like coming back together after like being through all this weird like <laughs> psychosexual stuff um and like I don't know. It's like it's just like a strange way for him to like end his filmography. Uh whereas like before he's talking about like evils of humanity,
0: right? One thing to hit on with with Clockwork Orange and let's look at their gang, the outfits, that all white suit that they've got. But then
3: I, I thought it, it was
0: onesie underwear at first. But <laughs> it's got like a jock strap on it. But it's just on the outside. Of- so that's, yeah, he's a super, like they're, they're superheroes, <laughs> but the, you get into that. It's like, that it's a very, very uncomfortable, all white suit that is very institutional and functional in a way. But then when you get into the bowler hat, you get into the bowler hat and the canes, it gets into the whole idea of higher society being more abusive towards the the, the institutional class. It gets into that in it how just how how much of a menace they are, and I do I do totally agree that on all everything that I watched in the last couple of days, that is the reoccurring theme is the degradation of mankind by higher powers of some other some other level. Again, maybe even you
4: could say class, perhaps you see that in a bunch of them. It,
0: it, I think so. Let's exactly, and that's what I'm getting at with number one eyes wide shut because remember when he's like take your clothes off to him at the party like mm-hmm. kind of like you're not us as much as you think you're us we're on a whole other level than you you're nothing take your clothes off and, and Tom it,
1: Cruise's character is much more comfortable in like uh relatively lower class places yeah. than the like, higher
0: class ones yeah exactly like in the in like the hookers um walking down the street going into the going into Domino's apartment mm-hmm. and everything so then one thing I picked up especially on full metal jacket and I know that there was a there were so many messages to this but one thing especially that I picked up was the the downfall so let's let's get into what he says he says I wanted to join the the marines so I could go to a so I could go to an ancient civilization meet meet people of different cultures and kill them that's two types of commentary that's a it's a it's a, it's a joke on the military. it's a it's a shot at the military and b it was it's actually it talks about the genocide of the American Indians but in America uh, in America, because they, they allude to that at the same time when they, the Indians over his shoulder and they're showing Red River um above him, which is a John Wayne movie where John Wayne was a supporter of the Vietnam War, but he dodged the draft or he just Howard Hawks, great filmmaker. So they talk he talks about that, but also going into the whole idea of if you look at all the commercialization. the the toothpaste commercials that are all over the billboards for toothpaste everywhere in in uh full metal jacket they're they're everywhere when they're in a meeting and he says basically we want to talk about giving given you know the vietnamese toothpaste and clean toilet paper and winning their hearts and minds all the while while we're killing them and turning and exploiting them um and it's even prevalent in there's a there's a shell sign that's it's covered but there's a whole saying about. He, he made a comment about dealing with the devil in the sign when you translate it. But the whole idea of when they're making a bargain, when they're making the two scenes with the hookers, right? Where the first the first one, when they go over there, you know, when you first see Vietnam for the first time and, you know, the famous scene, Miso honey and talking about the interchange and the exploitation of of the people, the sexual exploitation and the capitalization of sexuality, you know, capitalizing on that, exploiting them, and basically while they're destroying their country at the same time, just leveling the shit out of it. It's just, it's pretty insane. And and just that's what I picked up on was his just general overall disgust of mankind at times and, and what the classes have done to the working man and below. And I saw it. That's, that's what I picked up on those three movies was just, the degradation and the destruction of mankind at the hands of mankind and the powers that be well it's interesting Um, because i
2: i kind of read full metal jacket as um it's about life itself the first part Mm -hmm. of the movie is your adolescence and the second part of the movie is you know adulthood it's the unrealistic expectations of going to military boot camp and being you know trained to, to stand on a line and, and make sure you stand there in that place and make sure you have your gun on your left shoulder when they tell you to. And then you get to the real thing and helicopters are blowing up and your friends are dying and nothing is as you expected it to be. Based on I love how told. with
4: that description, like now it's standing the helicopter part, you could say the exact same thing about like, I think sort of the one One quarter to one third of the way through Barry Lyndon. Yeah, it's like the same and two thousand.
2: Yeah, yeah. well, well, two thousand one very much ends in a rebirth. Did you pick up on the um... freaking interesting about that movie?
0: Did you pick up on in Full Metal Jacket where the Vincent D'Onofrio the Pyle character? Yeah, is basically animal mother and Pyle are basically the same of the same character. That it's what if. If Pyle had lived, he would have turned into Animal Mother. And what's really funny is at the top of his Animal Mother's hat, it says, "I am now become death." And it's just, it's, it's a Hindu phrase. It's, it's, it's also a phrase about when they, when they destroy, um, when they drop the atomic yeah, bomb. Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Oppenheimer. Yeah, definitely
4: not a plug for the upcoming movie. Like <laughs> <we said. laughs>
0: but what's really funny is that he just—you see it when you see it when joker's beating they're having the soap party on pile yeah and he feels so so bad he feels so bad he feels so bad and then when he gets into it he he's the most brutal out of all of them yeah and and he watched out for him more than anybody else and he was just so brutal but you look at his face you look at his face when he changes it when he does it and then you look at his face when he's watching pile talking to his gun and it's it's insane it's a it's a really cool thing and Kubrick even, stare. Yeah, and then you look at Yeah, they call it like the skull face. They call it like the de- the smiling skull and like that's why it's so freaking creepy when when Pile like just gives this awful sh- stare. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a technique. I mean,
2: it's the Kubrick stare. It's you know, he used it in The Shining. He uses it Yeah, as, when he's looking out the, the window. As the he's joke goes, the it's um he uses it when a character is at the
0: peak of his madness. Do you remember when
3: starts that way?
0: Do you remember when they're the one of the very last scenes in, in full metal jacket, when they finally shoot the sniper? Yeah. And animal mother's like, whatever, just let her rot. Let the, let the, the rats eat her. And they're kind of, Joker's like pleading and pleading and pleading kind of like, no, 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 no. And then Joker shoots her. And we, I, we take it as she shoots her. And he shoots her in such a savage way that I took it as, Oh, it was the attempt to kill spirituality and traditional values by by the the use of the vietnam war was to just overcapitalize this this country commercialize it capitalize it take it for our own needs and we're going to you know as much as we want capitalism's going to win and we're going to kill spirituality and traditional values and they just go jesus joker and like yeah, it's, it was a pretty insane thing. Why her in particular? Why is she spirituality? Because of the setting it was in. There was one scene when you see kind of like a religious symbol in the background. She's not, if you look at the, the Viet Cong's, their army, they're, they're, they're civilians. They're civilians with just your basic traditional dress where you have Americans who are the green machine, the big green machine. Yeah. Um, and I, that's, that's what I took away from it. And again, it's just, you know, it's my, it's one man's opinion, but that's, that's what I took it as was the whole thing was about the crushing of ancient civilizations to whatever. And like you said, where the takeaway, where like war is hell, where you just described war as being hell. Like when he's got that, when he's got the peace symbol and he gets called out for having the peace symbol on his lapel. And it's just like, so you're going to shit all over Joker. I get why you're doing it over the little tiniest thing. Have you seen the pieces of shit that you're turning out in the field? Like who are they're like wild men. Yeah. Well, the the <laughs> the guy in the helicopter who's just like oh yeah, because I'm such a badass. Down
2: innocence. Yeah. That guy. Did you know that guy was supposed to be uh, Sergeant Hartman? Oh yeah. But he was like Arlie Ermey was so good at his job as like the instructor for that that he just became the actual guy. Talk about being you know being
0: blessed to be typecast.
2: Oh my God!
0: Early, <laughs> early, love like, that Like that's you, that's all you'll ever hear when you hear Drill Sergeant. Sergeant. It went from Sergeant Slaughter to him. Like that's that's what's in my head. But that's 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 why I got so excited for this. That's why I got so excited for this Kubrick stuff. Like when at
2: first I was like, because oh, no, everything he's a... done is iconic, and everything <clears throat> he he does
0: is like. But it's way deeper than just so, just well, consumerism. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't think, think it, No, it's it? way deep. No, no, it's way deeper. Sorry, I misspoke. It's way deeper than just consumption viewing. Like, I view it as you just... Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I watched that. It's no
4: Michael Bay's Transformers, or right? Yeah. It's not, yeah? No, it's Michael that's... Bay's
0: Pain
1: and Gain. Yeah, Okay, hold that's up. right. No,
4: stop. Pain and Gain. I don't care what the critics say.
2: Masterpiece, masterpiece. <laughs> well, just I'll like save bad it for the Michael too. Bay
4: podcast, <laughs> but uh, I think it's interesting how you talk about the uniqueness of uh, the Drill Sergeant as a character. I think that's... Like you said, uh, a lot of what Kubrick does is so great. And I think another key element of it is those very distinctive characters that you have in a lot of his movies. The uh, the droogs being so, you know, you know how they dress, you know how they talk, you know that they're droogs in Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon and Barry Lyndon being here. I, I mean, these are like actual, like, you know, these are identifiable characters that have, I feel like, in certain cases, like in Clockwork and The Shining and Full Metal Jacket, they really transcend, in a certain sense, the movie itself. And, and you might say that yeah, the, they, they just become the characters. They become archetypes. Be, yeah, they become archetypes. They're like almost, in, I I may argue, well more well known than the movie itself.
2: Yeah, dude, I mean, dude. so many people know like Full Metal Jacket and and The Shining and you know to an extent 2001 basically through like memes and i i do mean yeah. memes yeah. in like the mo- the broad yeah. sense of meme where it's just like a shared piece they, they, of yeah, cultural information movie, but they know yeah
3: what Red means yeah.
0: yeah so you just you just named off four movies that basically probably i would even go on to a fifth with eyes being eyes wide shut that define genres they define them they're they're framework building movies for genres we know that you know oh you know as a kid you're like oh you want to watch a really messed up movie let's what let's get clockwork orange (laughs) but then like you want to watch a war movie i i regard i regard full metal jacket as being a better war movie than apocalypse now i think sorry (laughs) for me no for me full metal jacket is because i think i full metal jacket feels a little bit more real versus like the situation feels more real um to me it does there's a certain sorality to apocalypse Apocalypse. now yeah and that's the thing is i like apocalypse now i think apocalypse now is great but if you had to name off certain war movies that had to do you're automatically you're going to say apocalypse now full metal jacket platoon that's going to be your that's going to be your vietnamese your vietnam i was going to say
4: casualties of war myself is that the michael j fox one yeah
0: that's the michael j fox one it is (laughs) but that's the thing but that's the thing is like that's the difference between like our age gap, Bardia. Because I'm you know, I'm old enough to be Nick's uncle. But <laughs> <laughs> but Indeed. no, yeah. So that's I'm the thing, is like even 2001, you're gonna go 2001. It's just gonna be one of the anchors in the genres. These are gonna be anchors to the yeah. genres. They that's are, and they that's that's one thing that I will give it, and I I, I just never thought about it. And didn't think about how heavy it was till right now. And, and find, that's it. Huh? Oh, I was going to say, like, I find
1: that he's a really great war filmmaker Um, from his, like, early 50s work Paths of Glory to even Dr. Strangelove, which he uses very interesting, like, handheld camera work for, like, the battle scenes there. And then, of course, like, a yeah. uh, full metal jacket.
0: What was really funny about, it was just kind of odd, in, funny odd in the scene was that, so that when they're shooting eight ball, when 8 ball's getting shot on the on the battlefield it's slow and it's yeah. slow like mm-hmm. like a tra- like a traumatic event happening in someone's head like you're watching this guy get shot and it's so traumatic that it's almost in slow mo but all the sound is in real time it's it the sound and it, it doesn't sync up it doesn't sync it's just very weird and that's the thing and, and talk about how scrambled people's minds are at that point and how like just chaotic at that point cowboy says we're not he's like they're like forget it eight ball and docker are are messed up they're they're gone they're messed up animal mother's like no they're not no we're we can't leave without is and as 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 much of a bully and as much as he kind of gives eight ball shit and he drops a lot of like racial slurs towards towards him and he just he won't give up on him but in a way, thinking about not thinking straight is he repeats back exactly the directive that Cowboy gives. He says the exact same thing right back to him. And I was like, huh. I thought that was really, really odd. It was not odd, but just kind of like interesting.
1: Uh, We mentioned a lot of movies about kind of Kubrick's disgust for the human race I find that uh did he have a musical any musicals in there (laughs) (laughs) maybe I'm not sure the the hidden
2: Kubrick misanthropic musical
1: (laughs) I find personally 2001 I have a a little bit of a different interpretation for 2001 and Jim I, I was curious since that's the film that you picked right yeah yeah I was curious what what you made of of 2001 um in the context of maybe like Kubrick's like general like dist- distaste for humanity do you think that it might like contrast with that or add to that
3: you know it, it's interesting in that you look at the the dawn of man and they talk about how you know you look at when the the monkeys touch the obelisk or the the the, the big black... the, mon- uh, black, the monolith
0: the monolith
3: <laughs> sorry I'm tired uh when they touch after they touch the monolith, then the monkeys have now suddenly gotten the knowledge on how to kill, right? Now they go and kill the other monkeys. And did you notice that then they jump into the future and the first thing that they show, after they showed the bone thrown in the air, the first thing that they show is the ship that is shaped just like a bone.
2: Yeah, well, one of the most famous match cuts cuts in history. (laughs) Jinx.
0: (laughs) But,
2: would you say the, no? It, would you say the, you know uh, what I think which... it is? I don't think it's the the knowledge to kill. To me, I think it's the knowledge of of tools. Yeah, and I the, agree with the that. tools end up being what kills because the I think the significance of the match cut going from the bone to the ship is that the the ship is kind of what's supposed to be housing, you know, Hal, and Hal ends think... up trying to kill them because it's it's an evolution in the same way that the monkeys were were having an evolution. So but it's really
1: think, interesting uh that the first tool that's kind of like invented by humankind is this like killing device. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you think that you guys talked about how that's one of the most famous match what you call that match, match scene? cut? Mm-hmm. So, do you think that one that might rival that that scene in particular is the one that they put in the preview for the Barbie movie?
3: <laughs>
0: I don't it was, cer- it was certainly an homage oh, at the
1: very least. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, describe described yeah. that yeah. Very, very, very I don't remember. Really. No, oh, you haven't seen it? It's like oh, this, it's like it's the
2: same thi- Oh, no it's it's the it's she like a bunch of little girls, off. it's the monolith is a Barbie doll and and Oh yeah, right. right
4: yeah.
0: It's, it's it's that trailer. It's hilarious. Dude. It's funny <laughs> as hell.
4: I prefer the parody where the monolith is the wonka bar and Tim Burton's children oh. <laughs> oh, shout even out. Oh like shout the monkey out. scene there, right? That's true.
2: Monkey. Oh, well, man.
4: actually, on that topic of what what exactly who imbues who with what, I think that's a very interesting point because it's not uh, what I, one of the things I love about Kubrick, and a big reason why I I picked Barry Lyndon, but I think it's applicable across a lot of his works, including in this context, is that uh, I think there's a lot that he intentionally doesn't say. I think we talked about it a bit earlier, yeah. but I think it's in this particular context, it's not entirely clear. It, we know that the monolith is giving the monkeys something. It could be the knowledge of tools. It could be the knowledge to kill. It's not 100% clear, but... I think to a certain extent, the monolith is imbuing them with some knowledge. And whether it is the knowledge of how to use tools or how to kill, I think what we ultimately see is sort of how both, regardless of whether the monolith gave it to them or if the monkeys came up with it of their own accord, just how that, what information was exchanged there sort of what we get the outcome not exactly what happens in the middle we Mm -hmm. get uh point a and point c and point b is sort of that gray blur and uh that i think it's a really interesting thing that kubrick does there and like similarly how he plays with with that kind of that literal and metaphorical silence uh across a lot of his movies but i'm curious on what what you think about
2: i I I always kind of say to myself I one of the reasons I really like Stanley Kubrick movies is because they leave you with more questions than answers. It leaves you it leaves you talking about things.
0: It's funny because you were saying like the silence and and as I like I alluded to you before, Nick is like I sent Nick a text a couple days ago going these are the longest movies ever <laughs> like these movies. <laughs> yeah. But then I I sat there and I was like it it adds to the tension. Do you know what I mean? And that's the thing is just like in real life, it doesn't move at movie speed. And these things are so these uncomfortable silences are what lead to just thought provoking moments. Quote me on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, the, the,
2: the, in.
4: I'd those go so quiet far as to moments, say. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I was. I was going to say. I would go. So I love silent movies. That's like what I'm really hype about. And I think it's interesting in the context of Kubrick's films is because it's very much silent in the sense that nobody's talking per se. Sometimes there might be, it might be a pure silence. Sometimes there's music like in Barry Lyndon. It's textured with classical music. And I think what really the big takeaway from that is, is that it's not necessarily that nothing is happening, but there's just so much happening that it's sort of, it's sort of like bubbling underneath the surface. Circling back to
2: that idea of theatricality, it's, it's, it's not the fact that the movie is silent, it's what he is doing with the silence. Because the silence is usually accompanied by you know a camera move of some kind, or the characters acting in a way that doesn't necessarily need talking to be happening. They are expressing themselves during yeah, like, that silence. Like so... in
3: 2001, when, you know, when, when uh, it's not Dave, but the other uh, astronaut has been shot out or, or cut out for, by Hal and he's just spinning in space and you know in 2023 we would not have had a cut that goes extremely long like that where you're just like okay he's dead you know we would have had maybe three four five seconds and we would have been happy okay we know that that astronaut's dead moving on let's try to You sit with it
2: and it gets so much
4: worse. It's terrible. Yeah, Yeah, look at oh
3: my god, this is and that
4: happens in total silence. It's all it's entirely visual. That when you first see him spinning around in space, that's really compelling.
0: So like let's let's look at even though there's no words, is when Danny's going through the through the overlook, is you're getting the different textures of the floor under the big wheel. She so no. car- carpet, carpet wood, carpet wood, carpet oh, wood. One of the best sound and, design moments ever. So I swear. And it's he's and he's behind him the whole time. He's got he's got a camera behind him. Another thing is talk going back to that scene where eight ball shot. You're just like, oh my god, I get it. But it's so it's just going on and on and on. And like I said, it's it's a traumatic event that's just going so slow. But the sound is just moving in real time, and you're just going. This is so. Uncomfortable to sit through. That, like you said, you just sit there and you're like, "You, I would." It's like would visual probably, nails on a chalkboard. It is, and this is probably the first example that I can think of that is from a like such a widely lo- known director. It's such a thinking. I would classify him I'm, as a thinking man's director. Yeah, it, I think so, the oh, example the, you
2: he's he's the quintessential is, thinking man's director. I think. But, yeah. I, you're yeah. Not,
4: not only that, I think uh the way he he can do that sort of thing that you talked about in many different ways. I I I don't remember that much about The Shining, but I distinctly remember that scene in the hall. There's a lot of movement, right? I was thinking about in Barry Lyndon, I love the first and the last interactions that the main character has uh with his uh with his wife is when they fir- it's when they first meet and when they like in the last scene of the movie he it's complete silence except for this one uh piano uh piece by schubert and the fact that he uses it in such a way as to connote the sort of seeds of maybe a romance or something some kind of relationship and then like the like abysmal way it ends with the same piece and the same silence I, i don't i want to want i don't want to say for sure but i think it's even might even be the exact same amount of time those moments but it's the same atmosphere and everything and it's there's no dialogue at all
0: think about uh duran think about the point when they're they're getting high and she like he's it's just the, in, laugh, uh, in eyes wide the shut. yeah and in, in in eyes wide Shut where they're just the laughing is going on and you're like you can tom cruise is super annoyed and it's just super annoying and you're just like shut up <laughs> like you like yeah we get it we get it. Like no one laughs that much, but then she goes, it's just, you go from being like, she's just laughing, laughing, laughing and you're super annoyed. And then she goes into these long drawn out. It's eth- like almost like ethereal speech patterns. And you're just like, Oh my God. Like <laughs> you're, it, it, it becomes very like one thing I really enjoyed was just those uncomfortable moments. Just as much, they're they're excruciating, but they they're felt on a different level for me. Like it was mm-hmm. felt on such a weird level, and this is this is why it's so exciting. Because like days ago, I was like, Psh, whatever, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. It was it was such a these were not that they were throwaway movies, but they just weren't as impacting. That when you get it, when you get through the layers, it like you know when you get through the onion, it's just really nice. like an onion it has layers (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: there's there's a lot of those like really excruciating moments and in eyes wide shut i think earlier i forget to mention this but i think i think uh, alex you mentioned the um the way the camera tracks danny from like the back in the shining um as he like goes through the overlook hotel so like
0: another do it in full
1: metal too they do it in full Mm -hmm. metal they do it in full metal they also do it like every other shot in eyes wide shut is like that too yeah like basically, like, every shot, even the most, like, throwaway shot of, like, Tom Cruise, like, entering a room is, like, from the back tracking. I think that, like, I, I was listening to an interview with um, Cruise and Kidman about the movie, and they said that, like, there was like, six crew members working on the film at once, and, like, most of the time, it was just Kubrick holding the camera himself, and, like, just, like, doing all these, like like like, insane camera moves, all these, like, insane, like, movements, like, Like the cameras, like sorry, like experimental type shots or pickup shots, and yeah, yeah, and like there's I think very few scenes where like the camera is still in that
0: film. They did, yeah, they did a lot like in the um in the freezer scene. I guess they shot when when Jack Nicholson's like stuck in the freezer, and they they're filming from like almost like through his arm, like, if they were underneath him. Yeah, under. Yeah, I know which
2: shot you're talking about. I love
0: that shot. Yeah, and you can, like, you know, what's really funny is you know what it would feel like the cold door and what it would feel like that your hair, like that stringiness of the hair hitting the face, like flopping around. It's just something about it, and you just, the whole time, you just want to be like, just shove the stupid, you know, just hit the plunger, man. (laughs) Like his hands on the plunger. and You're just like, just push the, push the plunger. I I know, but you're, you're going, just hit the plunger (laughs) the whole time. And it's, it's really like, I was really like open to a whole new world to all this. And it was really exciting for me. Like this was exciting cinema for me, you know, something, something old became exciting and new.
2: Oh, there's nothing better than rediscovering a Kubrick movie, and I don't, I don't no. know if they really happen around you, but if if there's ever like screenings for any of these movies, any movie that he has made, you should go and oh, see yeah. it because these movies the demand reason. to be seen in theaters. I yeah, couldn't the get through 2001 until my third try. My third try was seeing it in seventy millimeter IMAX,
4: remember
2: mm-hmm. that. and Lucky. that that got me through it. I was like, "Okay, Lucky. I get it now." <laughs> I uh,
4: I remember first time I watched two thousand one was at the Smithsonian's uh, Air and Space IMAX theater on their like really big screen. That was my first time seeing it in its entirety. It was that was pretty mind blowing. For me as well, and I part of the re- I want to also mention part of the reason I picked Barry Lyndon is because that is the one I've most recently rewatched, and uh, they played it at the Senator Theater in Baltimore, and uh, their screen is pretty big too, and I'm a sucker for the front seat, so I really got immersed in that movie. And yeah, I was lucky. I was lucky seat. enough to
2: do. see Barry Lyndon at um, AFI when they did their Kubrick retrospective in like 2018, but I I saw that. I saw The Shining. Yeah. We saw um, that one together.
1: Yeah. Ron
3: uh, loves the AFI.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I basically live there. He does. <laughs> I went there today and I saw two movies. <laughs> <laughs> there you What'd go. What'd you say? What'd you say? Uh, I saw little Caesar and How's was pizza. <laughs>
2: yeah. That's why you got two movie movie. old gangster flick, right? <laughs> yeah. Old
1: gangster flick. And what was the other one? It was this, another like pre-code film uh, safe in hell, which is pretty good.
2: Oh, I want to see a bunch of like old pre-code movies.
1: We'll do a pod on it. We'll
2: oh, yes. I'm <laughs> What's that mean, that. pre-code? What's that mean, pre-code? It means before the Hayes Code was invented, which was like, like the standards. G and G and... No, even before that. The Hays Code preempted mm-hmm. the uh, MPA. The Hays Code yeah. was like that set of rules from like the 30s to like about 65, 68-ish. Um, yeah, until yeah. it got it, eventually
1: fell apart. Oh. Like there was this really short period. I think it was like after the end of the silent age to so like 1927 to 1934, where like you see all these like weird like films with like violence and sex and stuff like that, which are really like out of time you would think for like movies from like the thirties.
2: But... So that's yeah, really that's interesting. Something I want to bring up really quickly. I do want to say, I find it really, really interesting that 2001 came out in 1968 when the Hays Code is, is unestablished. His very next movie is it's, you know, Awkward he goes boring. from 2001 being G <laughs> to A Clockwork Orange, which is like, how far can we push the anti-hero in this new era of cinema?
4: It was literally rated X. Yeah. That, what? and also like, there's something to be said of the fact that uh, he also made Lolita in the early 60s. There was still, I assume there was still some enforcement of the Hayes Code, but the what he was able he was able to like... Yeah, well, he probably helped to break
2: it, making Lolita.
4: Probably. Yeah. He, he really flirted with that sort of, uh, like, how far can we push it? But like, more, I guess, probably more akin to early '60s. What's considered risque then versus, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're coming in the '70s, and I think, I, I assume, like cultural trends, like the Summer of Love and the sort of you might say like hippie-ish drugs and rock and roll generation, yeah, uh, sort mm-hmm. sort easy writers, like raging bulls.
0: <laughs> so what's really funny is that you know you guys talk about the '30s and the four, the '30s and pre pre-coded movies, is the fact that. So there was also a woman that that served on the on the, techno, the technicolor. She was the main advisor to the technicolor, whatever. She she got into psychological colorization, basically the use of I, I'm misquoting it, but the use of color to invoke emotion, and that that plays a lot in The Shining with the red. That plays a lot in uh, The Shining with like green being. And I guess Green is used a lot in any of his death scenes, death and rebirth scenes. Like I know I said that about Red. That's death and and rebirth. But it's also like birth and rebirth. Like the actual acts of birth and rebirth are represented in Green. Because like you said, the so there's a gentleman where the monolith appears in his room in 2001. And he has a green headboard in it there's a there's a green backing headboard in that there's the tub scene that's in the shining mm-hmm. um that's all green as well the the whole room is green except for like the tub and things like that was that use of color to evoke certain emotions that he adopted especially reds throughout he, he i guess red it plays a massive massive role in a lot of his movies and uh, um, Full
1: mill Jacket is a film full of greens. Yeah. Like that's like the primary color in that.
0: Yeah. And you would, you would write that off as just being, you know, the military, but you know, you know what I mean? But it, it's so, I thought that was so interesting that the psychological warfare he uses with, with the colorization, the color when anywhere else would be it, it, very few actors. I mean, very few directors. And, and it's really funny is that I think of this one director in particular and, Um, And I thought of this and I go, how much inspiration did Kubrick have, especially from The Shining when they're panning across the hotel and and the use of color to evoke emotion? How much influence does Kubrick have on Wes Anderson? Because Wes Anderson is a very vibrant. Oh, my God, Nick. If you don't bring up one of those scenes from A Clockwork Orange, the Uh one
4: where the old man's house, literally the first shot's of each time you're in that yeah house. i can like i can Anderson. see
0: that yeah <laughs> so and that's it oh you know who else is in that scene with the old man
2: uh, david Prowse, yeah, darth vader darth himself vader. there
0: yeah. you go good job that and you know what's really funny is that when someone told me hey that's darth vader the first time i ever heard that, that was darth vader i was like it dawned on me and you guys are gonna you can cut my feet again if you want what i was like i was like what do you mean james earl jones isn't in the suit <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but like you know, I was like, "Oh, it's Darth Vader." So okay, <laughs> but yeah, that 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 made me realize that Darth, James Earl Jones is not inside Darth Vader's suit. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> one thing I do find interesting is that every single one of his movies, I'm pretty sure, is based on a book.
0: Is it? Yeah. It's 2000 even 2001? Yep. Yeah. Arthur C. Arthur Clark.
2: C. Clark book. Is it? <laughs> so
0: that one is like
2: the one exception, I think,
1: because that. Book was written at the same time the movie was being written since they like collabed on the script
4: together, him and Arthur C. Clarke. Bold of you to assume that Stanley Kubrick always remains faithful to the source material. Oh, no, he doesn't. No, that's that's what
2: makes his adaptation so good.
1: I mean, Dr. Strangelove, the the book wasn't originally, I think it's called Red Alert, was not like a comedy. Yeah, yeah. it was a Uh,
4: drama. Yeah, and like he just, I think something like Kubrick couldn't stop like finding the comedy and how absurd it was. Yeah, like that.
0: it makes sense, and that's that's another thing that's really funny that you bring up the comedy of it because that scene where I'm talking about the the whole eight ball getting shot and in animal mother going over to rescue him, get out, rescue him. It's almost like comical in a way, absurdly comical.
4: Oh but yeah, like, it's
0: I... it's certain it's absurdity. It's like
2: why are you doing this? You're gonna get shot yourself, but they're trying to
0: preserve life and dude i'm sorry like with with that that director in particular wes anderson or no 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 the guy who plays animal mother all i can think about is dc he plays the guy albert in dc cab that's (laughs) all i can ever think about is he's the guy that plays albert in dc cab but what is that dc cab i don't know what dc cab is either oh no what is that like fake taxi (laughs) <laughs> no and it's not even like no it's not like bang bus either oh my god oh my god dc cab is a movie that was in the uh i love this movie it was it was in the 80s and they were capitalizing on mr t and that's when you really got your first shot of gary Busey being gary Busey. <laughs> gary Busey hours yeah, yeah. And, and it's just so it's 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 great <laughs> it's, it's, i think I, uh, i'm fond of dc cab to uh, to, to touch just, back on
4: what you were talking about earlier i think uh another one of those sort of recurring things in the works of kubrick is also the way he handles humor because i think you could totally tie it to those other themes of like sort of pessimistic about the human race but also like Beyond just Doctor Strange being like explicitly him laughing at how absurd the Cold War is, there you also got moments like, I don't remember much about Full Metal Jacket, but I distinctly remember when they're playing uh, Surf and Bird by the Trash Men. It's sort of like the sort of song, I remember I heard the song before I saw the movie. It's one that I figured like, oh, they probably play it when there's like some big action happening, and it's them crawling. It's like... Hey. And it's well, it's well, after uh, the
2: big action has happened. It starts up yeah. like after they've cleared out that one area. So yeah, he, it's you- like
4: ra- yeah. wrapped in humor, and then I also want to, again, because I picked Barry Lyndon, I'm going to shoehorn this into, uh, <laughs> when when he's getting mugged really early in the movie, the guys are ridiculously polite, like giving him good old, How do you do? This is my son. He's all, And his st- son is standing behind him also with a gun. It's like, How do you do? How do you do? <laughs> What's really, is a hilarious movie. I'll let you keep the boots. <laughs>
2: oh,
0: I love that really funny? He's such a loser. Yeah. <laughs> What's really funny is that you, you bring up music to express the situation. When they bring in Animal Mother for the first time in Full Metal Jacket, woolly bully is being played and that's the thing is that he is the bully of that troop you know what i mean he's the bully of that squad he's like everyone's afraid of him and woolly bullies being played and another thing is when the first shot in vietnam and that the hookers walking they're playing these boots what you're going to remember is one of these days these boots are going to walk all over you and it's so it's so, such a throwaway thing that you go, Oh, I love that song. But then, no, like, I think all hey, the needle hey. drops are very pointed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and that's exactly that was the exciting thing about that. Love I it, love a, it I when filmmakers a, put thought into their needle drops. I have a, I have a real, you know, what's it called? I have a real super appreciation for them. And I, I just, ne- I didn't see this coming yesterday at all. And the more, like I said, the more I dug into it, the more I, I dig it. And I'm just like, yeah, man, I totally get it. Because I was like, I mean, I dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here's here's confession time. I was like, I'm going to drive these two guys nuts tonight. I'm going to like I'm going to I'm like I, Duran and, and Barty are going to hate me by the end <laughs> of this thing. <laughs> and I was like, they're done. <laughs> and it was, I was like, did you watch you know? a bunch of them like yesterday or something? So all the ones that I watched, I had seen before with the exception of Eyes Wide Shut. I was telling Nick mm-hmm. that I, I sat down. So as I was getting into stuff and I was I was looking into things, I didn't know what Barry Lyndon was about. And Nick's like, I've got it on my, you know, it's on my iTunes if you want to watch it. It was like, okay, whatever. And I had no idea what it was going to be about. And I started watching some studies on, on, on Kubrick and getting some finer points. And I was like, "What's that period piece movie?" And a gentleman I know was like, "Oh, if you." I said, "Hey, do you know what Barry Lyndon is?" He goes, "Yeah, that's a period piece." And I said, "Oh, is it the one in 1790s? He's like, "Yeah." I said, "Oh, I gotta watch this." And I was gonna sit down to watch 2001 and Barry Lyndon before we before we fired off tonight. And I got home in Spectrum, like <sighs> shit the bed, like, and it didn't come on until like ten minutes before we recorded. I was like, "Well." Uh-huh. I was like, great. <laughs> so, and, and maybe thank God I didn't, because you have probably been like, "Yeah, we're just gonna go home. Call us when you know we're, we're gonna cut out. Call us when you're done talking for the end of the show." <laughs> so, no, it happens. Hey, that just means you're excited. That's good. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the thing is like for so long, and like I said, in, in I really hope people can find the love. In this and rediscover or, or kindle the love um for cinema like this and for and and that drive them out to go to to the theater and see the magic again of it and really experience it in that way um, and not just to go out what do you mean you ma- don't
2: you don't feel that kind of magic when you see the eternals <laughs>
1: <laughs> the... only during the hiroshima oh that, that's yeah, true yeah.
0: I'm Only when that, they yeah.
4: play, play Pink Floyd's "Time" when there's a time jump.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
4: Most superficial.
0: But no, it's just it's that rediscovery and to go. Okay, great cinema does exist. You know, it, it the art form still. No better is, reminder than Stanley yeah. Kubrick.
4: And no like way. I said, that's
0: it's not just con- it's not just consumption viewing at that point. It's not just what's on Disney Plus. You know.
4: That's exactly what I said when I watched Michael Bay's Transformers for the first time too. <laughs> it's not on Disney Plus. <laughs> Dang. Yeah.
2: No, it's. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. All right. Anything else we want to throw in? I have been really interested lately on his friendship with uh, Steven Spielberg. I I've mm. I've seen a lot of interviews with between the two of them and um, kind of getting into making of uh, AI, which they were. Stanley was supposed to direct, but Spielberg ended up directing. It's I haven't seen it, but it, it looks really interesting, and I want to. Uh, I really he, want to see
1: yeah. that. It looks amazing.
0: Was he part of American Zeotrope? Was he part of all those guys? No. no. Like, with, with he wasn't in with Lucas. and, and...
2: No. No, he was very, uh, like, kept to himself for the most part. He
0: started,
1: yeah, doing, like, independent films, and then with, like, the success of, like... Lolita, and, like, well, no, his films are, like, the 50s. He just got, like, bigger and bigger and bigger studio budgets, even though, like, he, like, continued to isolate himself and basically, like, didn't leave
0: London for 30 years. The interesting thing is that all his movies are different from the other one. Yeah. There's there's no... Like, you know, even 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 can...
2: if you say Paths of Glory and Full Metal Jacket are both war movies, they're so
0: very different as war movies. Oh, yeah, but... So, like you said, you what he you said he did Lolita, then he did Clockwork Orange, and then he did Lolita,
4: he, and then Doctor Strangelove, did, and then
0: 2001,
4: and then yeah, Strangelove, oh, and then 2001, Spartacus, Spartacus was there somewhere uh, Clockwork too. Orange, no, yeah, so that was before, before Lolita. Yeah.
0: So look at oh. all that. That's you could that be talking so cool. about. You could be talking about five. Uh, you're talking five different movies that could very well be written by five different personalities, but in their variation. Do you, do you understand what yeah. i mean like it's yeah. like that's a pretty it, and i know we keep like you know let's 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 really face it look at a you know a michael bay movie is a michael bay movie how many times you're gonna shove a camera up a girl's skirt and like you know <laughs> while things are exploding
1: you gotta see pain and gain it's a masterpiece pain and gain is a masterpiece i
0: stand by that all right <laughs>
1: no the
2: the ethos (laughs) of michael bay is very interesting when you get into it but uh but
1: we'll leave that for for another time different conversation
4: weird how that worked out (laughs) but but i
1: want to comment on something that uh yeah alex was saying really quick because like i definitely agree like i mean look at like how many diverse genres kubrick tackled from like noir war historical epics sexual thrillers, whatever but i i also feel that there's like they all like feel similar to me not in terms of like theme or look or genre or anything like that but like when i watch like a kubrick film it just like feels like a kubrick film there's like something
2: the soul in... of it fingerprints on yeah yeah exactly
1: yeah there's something in, like the alien nature of the performances like the weird like dark comedy like the like what we were commenting before about how he just like like lingers on like certain scenes and like the music for sure that, that give him this kind of that give his films this um auteur touch
4: ryan o'neill in his one good role because he's playing himself <laughs> oh, he's good in paper i disagree moon. paper moon he's just he's just sort of there i felt like but <laughs> the driver that's, that's for another what's podcast. up doc i want to i want to briefly touch on what nick was talking about his relationship with steven spielberg i just want to quickly mention also uh i was i'm interested in the the brief but i think very meaningful uh sort of relationship he had with David Lynch's d- debut film, Eraserhead, and how that... Oh, yeah. Kubrick, like, was he, like... This he showed is the crew of The Shining Eraserhead as, like, the Shining example of what he wanted this, to create. This is what we want The Shining to be, yeah.
3: Pretty much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 he hair.
2: He does have a little Lynch hair
0: going on, just a little <laughs> bit. Uh, <laughs> Give us another um, report. <laughs> <laughs> you say Eraserhead, and all I can ever think about is... um. The song that the girl's singing, she says, In, in Heaven. heaven. <laughs> yeah, that's all I can think about. And, and the ugly baby. Yeah. <laughs> ugly is understating it. Yeah. I is, think Stanley is Kubrick
4: is definitely ripping in heaven, though.
2: You kn- yeah. I, saw an I don't know about that. With... He might be in hell. <laughs> he might be. I saw an interesting clip with uh, Spielberg talking about Kubrick recently that I think kind of like highlights what made him so different than all other filmmakers is that he was willing to look at everything and go well why is that interesting cuz mm. when he would talk to Steven Spielberg about his scripts and all that he would he would say to him why is this interesting to you what makes it interesting well gee i don't know if i find that interesting why is that a good idea and he was willing to ask all of those questions you know to really challenge your own creativity and be like am I doing something mediocre or am I doing something worthwhile?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's an incredible quote. Yeah. I guess the essence of of who Kubrick is answering that question. And you can't deny a lot,
4: if not all of what he does. uh, He, you, even if you may not like see what's interesting about it on the first watch, uh, I think it's clear cut that there's something he finds interesting about it. And he, uh, goes to great lengths to sort of really flesh out what he finds interesting about it. And I think because of that sort of human thing about w- what we generally find interesting, I think the fact that he imbues us with such a rich perspective on what he sees in it, I think that's what makes it such a real universal sort of understanding of w- what is interesting about these topics yeah. that he covers.
1: Mm-hmm. And of course, like as uh, Alex was saying before, the layers. Of these films and like how you can have like a million different interpretations of, of like all these movies yeah. At least not,
2: not everybody's eating the same onion watching a kubrick movie that's true <laughs> yeah
3: and i also think that his influence in cinema even to this day still exists and you know I, I don't know how many people know that they're really tracing it what they're doing back to him but it's definitely like I said, his fingerprints on it, you know, even so much as as what I just threw at you guys in the chat. If you look at Tron Legacy, Flynn's bedroom in Tron Legacy is Bowman's bedroom at the end of 2001. You know, <clears throat> you've got, that's just one example, but, you know, his work is just so iconic. It still permeates, you know, the, the, the zeitgeist today.
2: Yeah. Yeah definitely that new ice spice music video that takes place in the 2001
4: bedroom set bro oh my gosh (laughs) i saw it. i haven't seen the thing itself but i've seen sort of news clippings of it and it's it looks so stupid i haven't seen the full
2: video either but i've seen i've I've seen the the photos and it's enough it's 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 not white it's all pink and it's just like gross (laughs) (laughs) it's like why why did you use this why 2001 why is
4: this interesting (laughs) Why is
2: this interesting? Uh, and that is that is ultimately the question. Why is this interesting? And and why was he killed? Kubrick Kubrick gave you uh, many reasons to be interested, and that's what's so great about the guy.
4: All right, Maybe the moon landing. What more do you want? That's true. <laughs> he did
2: he did fake the moon landing. We're we're confirming that right here right now. It happened <laughs> on a film set. I was there. You know what? You know what? They faked the moon landing on the moon. (laughs) That's Well, That just like how much of a perfectionist he was. (laughs) He
1: said that we had to do it on the moon.
3: Well, how would you get a picture of the astronauts coming down the ladder, right? If there wasn't somebody already there shooting the video. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. (laughs) You know, they put Kubrick up there first and then they came out of the capsule.
4: The evidence before the court is incontrovertible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we're spiraling into uh, Moonland and conspiracy theories, so I think it's about time to wrap this up. Any of you guys have any final notes?
3: I, I think that even though he's not a current director, these aren't current movies, I would say people should really go back and, you know, rewatch watch them. Um, I really like the fact that all of them have been remastered and look absolutely gorgeous in 4k um, you know I, I was amazed at how much I could see in the movies now that yeah. I could see when they were on some crappy looking VHS you know 20 30 years ago, 40 years ago so yeah go revisit them the audio sounds better than ever the video looks better than ever yeah and and you'll you'll find that you don't remember the movies like you think you did <laughs>
2: you
0: can, never I, can I do can I make a comment? Sure. So you know how they could have filmed the moon landing, right? You know who was there, right? Who was there? Orphan- <gasps> Orphans, Orphans! In space! space!
2: <laughs> yes, baby. All right. That always signals the end of the episode, so we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> See you, everybody. Bye-bye-bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. See y'all. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: And you're the big Wait, Eyes Wide bird. Shut fan, right? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so so I went, those motherfuckers, fucking Max, dude. <laughs> I went back to fucking finish the last 15 minutes of it, and they fucking dumped it today. They dropped it off, the st- like they got rid of it for-, for Oh Max. yeah, H- HBO Max, right?
1: I was like, motherfucker! Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think I I saw that. I was like, oh, shit, I'm so happy I didn't wait till today to watch it. (laughs) Because
0: I started watching it, and I was like, I got to go to work. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. I was like, oh, you got to be joking.